0: It's a four-part series, this would be part three, so it'll be a couple of weeks before we go to the fourth part, and then we'll wrap it up. I want to start today like I started the other two parts and ask you the question, you know what the question is. Does anybody know what the question is? And what do you want? Now, we said it's a really quick, a tricky question. I mean, it didn't seem like a tricky question. What do you want? You know, things come to mind. People come to mind. A peace of mind comes to mind. Not having to think about anything comes to mind. But but it's a tricky question for this reason. We all have all gotten what we thought we really wanted and discovered to later it wasn't what we really wanted at all. In fact, some of, of you who, who got a... Who you really wanted, and then realize later that's not who I wanted at all. Some you got a job you really wanted. You got the car you really wanted. You got the house you really, you really wanted. You got whatever you really wanted, and then three months, six months, you know, forty-six car payments later, you realize this isn't really what I wanted at all. That's a cr- tricky question. And we said there's a better question than what do I want. A better question is what do I value or what is really important because lurking in the shadows, we don't ever stop to think about it, but lurking in the shadows of what you want is what you value, what you consider important. And so we've said for the last two or three weeks that, that we, you or I, or we will never get what we really, really want until we discover, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, until we discover what we really value. It seems like this should be easy, right? We just we just sit down, we ask the question, okay, what do I really value? I know what I want, but but what do I value? I know what I want, but but who do I value? You know, I write down what I value and then I'm I'm good to go, right? But we said last week is a very mo- more complicated. Like, sorry, my mouth's dry. Complicated than that because here's a problem. We, what we want naturally or what we we naturally want or, 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 or what we naturally want is often in conflict I say we're almost always in conflict with what we ultimately value that's why when somebody says what do you want what comes to mind may not be what you really want that's why when you're you're in your teens and your 20s or maybe your 30s or your 60s your 70s what you're absolutely sure you want it turns out not to be as fulfilling or perhaps that you thought it would be Every single day, in fact, maybe every single hour, there's, there's an internal conflict inside of me and inside of you between what we naturally want and what we ultimately value. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you a life verse. For those of you who have a life verse, because, who, who want to have a life verse, because Apostle Paul song, summed up this whole battle, uh, the battle perfectly when he wrote these words you remember these? I do not understand what I do. you remember those? In Romans 7.15. That's us, right? I do not understand what I do. I I know what I want, or what I value, and once I've recognized I value, I still go after what I want rather than what I value. So what's wrong with me? He, He says specifically, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do... But what I hate, I do. And that's all of our experience because there's a constant, constant, constant conflict between what you want naturally and what you want ultimately, what you want naturally and what you want ultimately. It's all this conflict there. So to conquer that, for sure, we've got to be able to zero in or answer the question, what is it we really, really value? And I told you I was going to tell you a bit of my story. And so I'll tell you a little bit. Not all of it, but a little bit. In 1989, which is a while back, a very good friend of mine told me about a book that I should read. In fact, about 25 million people have read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is the newest edition. Here's what, what Stephen Covey writes. I'm gonna set my water down here. <sighs> knock it over. So in your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. This is why it's hard. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor. Or chapel, parking the car and getting out, and as you walk inside the building you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way and you you feel the the shared sorrow of losing the joy of having having known that, that, that radiates from the hearts of people there. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral, three years from today, maybe. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. And as you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand and there's to be four speakers. The first is from your family, immediate and also extended. Your children, your brothers, your sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in and service. So now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you? And your whole life. What kind of husband? What kind of wife? What kind of father or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? And look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? It says take a few minutes and jot down your impressions. You I'd like to, to read, and I, and, and I read lots of books, and whenever I get to the part of a book where they say, now now you want to stop reading, get a pen in a notebook. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> the goal of reading a book is what? To finish it. That's right, we don't care if we learn anything. We just like to be able to say, oh, yeah, I read that book. Yeah, I read that. I've got to put a check in that box. Oh yeah, I I read that, I read that. Yeah, I read that years ago. Oh, you just found that book? Anyway, but but on this particular occasion, I actually did what what Stephen Covey suggested we do. I actually stopped reading the book. Now I did went on, but I'm just saying I stopped at that moment. And I actually did what he suggested. The next morning to my devotional time, I actually stopped reading the book and and, and I prayed a little bit, read a little bit of the scripture and I decided to work through the exercise and I answered the question, what would I want my wife to say at my funeral you? What would I want my sons to say about me? What do I want my daughter to say about me? What would I want a best friend to say about me? What would I want somebody that I work with to say about me? And I went through six or seven categories. And I I didn't do it all at one time. I I did one morning, and this took me over a week. And I'm telling you, this is not normal for me. Because, again, it's like, let's just keep this thing going and get through this book. So I spent my morning time writing all this stuff out. So a week goes by, and I pick up the book, and what he wrote next really was, for me, a life-changing. It was life-changing. It really was a defining moment. And here was what he wrote. I wrote this down here. If you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of the success. This is like an OMG for me. Just like, are you kidding me? It was such a big moment for me. He was basically saying off the page, Kevin, now you know what success is for you. You may have known what, you know, may have thought you knew what it was. You may imagine that you thought you knew what it was, but now you know what certainty, what is most important to you, what your personal definition of success is. In other words, now you know what is most valuable, and now you know, too, what is most valuable to you. And here's the thing, and this won't come as a shock, because if you've ever done an exercise like this, you've discovered the same thing. That my definition of success had virtually nothing to do with accomplishment. It had everything to do with my character and how I treated people. And here's the tension and here's the conflict. And, and here's why this was, this was so, excuse me, but here's why I got choked up. Here's why this was so helpful to me. And see, I, I love progress. Progress isn't so important to me. I, I love things to go forward. A, I know I'm a terrible counselor because counseling is, is like the past. It's like, okay, we'll just stop doing that, okay? Then your marriage will be better. Let's just move on. I'm not a good Listener. I love meanings about the future. I love to set goals. I like to build things and grow things. I'm so much about the future. Yet when I went through this exercise, nobody in my mind got up and talked about anything that I'd ever done. What I drove, where I lived, how much money I made, how many sermons I preached, none of that ever came up. Because of my... Much, as much as I enjoy these things, as much as important as those things, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's as important as those things are, I discovered that they're not actually what is important to me. And I had discovered what I really wanted. The drive to accomplishment, I discovered, is just a means to an end. So here's what I did. I realized... I've got six or seven paragraphs of stuff, and my temptation was just to, to finish the book, and I can't let this slip, this stuff slip by. But so I sat down, and, and this is just what I did, and I decided that I got to reduce all of this down to something portable and memorable, because memorable is portable, and portable is memorable, and even that statement's portable and memorable. But anyway i need to reduce it down to some words so i reduced all this information down to nine words that became seven words which became six words and then because i'm a christian i decided to find to try to find a verse for each of these seven things or the six things that, which was really more difficult than i thought it would be and here's what happened this is so cool and, this, and it wasn't on purpose and as soon as i narrowed it down to seven words seven terms, and those seven words became the perimeter around my behavior. They they, they informed my conscious. When I wandered around the perimeter of those seven things that I wanted to be said about me, my conscious lit up. And here's a really odd thing, and here's what happened for me. Sin became synonymous with failure. I'm telling you, this is life-changing. I'm, let me tell you what I mean by this. For example, I'm not going to tell you my list of words. I, I, you got to get your own list. But I'll tell you one thing on my list that will probably show up on your list if you do the exercise. One of the things on my list, honesty. That's what I once said about me. that if Kevin says yes, it's a yes and it's a no, it's a no that if he's going to say he's going to do something, he'll do it. And if he doesn't do it, he'll tell you that he didn't do it before you find out. Because I want to be known as an honest person. And here's what happened when I when I realized how important honesty was, then telling a white lie, or a little white liar, or not doing something I, I said I was going to do. In the past, it's like... Oh yeah, what do I ever, I mean, the the Lord's going to forgive me. It's just kind of, and I just kind of move on. And suddenly, being dishonest wasn't just, oh yeah, everybody does. Suddenly, dishonesty for me was was a failure. Kevin, you failed because at the end of your life, you want to be known as an honest person. This isn't just a little sin. You fail. Now the problem is, honesty, I think, is costly. Isn't it? You can lose a lot of money being honest. There's a lot of money that you leave on the table if you're honest. You have the the potential to kind of wreck your reputation with people if you're absolutely honest. But the thing is, nobody in my funeral exercises... Oh, he said he always won, no matter what it took. He always won. Kevin was a winner, even if he had to lie, even he had to cheat, even if he had to steal. Kevin always came out on top. I didn't hear anybody saying that at my funeral. It was all about my character. That he was finally honest. So does that mean I have these seven words and now I'm perfect? Because I'm staying with it? No, I'm not perfect. But here, here's the other thing I learned. And this was, this was even more fascinating. I discovered that, that owning owning my failure is actually success. That owning up to the fact that I screwed up or blew it or didn't say what I was, I was getting, the owning up to my failure was actually success. Because I, I want to be honest and I want to be transparent with who I was as a person. something become so much easier for me to apologize. To hide something, to blame somebody, not to own oh, up. And that's just not, oh, 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 you shouldn't do that. For me, I discovered that's failure. And, and, and here's the point, because... You may may want to do this exercise and you may not. But here's the point. If you're going to get what you really want, you have to discover what you really value and what's really important to you. It's not not important versus not important. That's not at all. What is most important every day of your life? In fact, even while you're sitting here, in fact, this morning when you decided whether or not to get up, or this afternoon when you decide whether or not you're going to come, or when you decide, whatever, you know, to, to go wherever. You are prioritizing values. We do this all the time. There are 20 things that are important, but, but one of them has to be the most important. This isn't good versus bad. This is important versus not important. This is asking the question, what is most important? Because we're constantly prioritizing our values. But here's the thing. You cannot prioritize what is most important to you until you discover what is most important to you. Again, I value progress. I love progress, but I also value integrity. This exercise exposes truth to me and then at the end of the day I actually value integrity more than progress. Which means there's a conflict beginning things done faster, getting things done bigger, getting things just moving. Where there's a conflict between progress and integrity, I, I'm reminded, Kevin, at the end of the day, integrity takes priority over progress. Because nobody stood up in your funeral and talked about anything you had accomplished. Discovering what you value will, will keep want from getting in the way of, of, of the really want. You need to discover what it is you really value, what you want most. And I'm telling you, unless you sit down, unless you spend time with this, you can spend your entire life never stumble on it accidentally. This takes some intention, and here's why. What was it a couple of weeks ago? Because because what you want naturally, and what you want immediately, what you want naturally, what you want immediately, is rarely what you want ultimately. And ultimately is tied to what is really most important to you. Now, because of Christians, we've got to take this step further. The Christians ask a better question that leads to a surprising conclusion. And here's the question that that Christians ask. What does God really want? Or to tease it out a little bit, what does God really want for us? Some of you have this scary question, then. Especially if you grew up in your church and you kind of drifted away and the whole God thing is, I don't know if I want to go there at all. Or maybe you don't even believe in a personal God. Or you may be a Christian and this is a scary question because you think you are all at odds with God over what you want and what God wants. And we assume assume the real question is, what does God want from us? Let me talk about that for just a few minutes because it's a big deal. Let me set it up this way. When Jesus was teaching his followers how to pray, do you remember? He teaches his followers how to pray because they, they grew up praying prayers, but they really they didn't really like the way they prayed. Apparently, they thought Jesus prayed better prayers because they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus teaches how to pray. Jesus said, okay, here's how you pray. And do you remember how Jesus instructed disciples, and I think instructs all of us to pray. Do you remember our first two words? Our what is Father. it? Our Father. Now, this is important. It's so clarifying. If you can just remember that Jesus has invited us to address God as Father. It clears up so much confusion between the Old and New Testaments between passage in the New Testament seem to conflict. Do you just remember the filter is God is my heavenly Father It brings so much clarity to so many things. Now with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What does a good parent want from their children? Nothing. Good parents want stuff for their children. Not from their children. And parenting for takes precedence over from. In fact, takes precedence over from. When you see a parent trying to withdraw or extract something from their kids to help their egos or make them feel better as a person or a coach or whatever it might be, that doesn't feel healthy to us. We look at that and go, well, there's something wrong with that. Because great parents want things for their children not from their children. And here's the great news. Your Heavenly Father wants something for you, not from you. We assume there's a competing agenda, and that's what I want, and what God wants are at odds. But what you want naturally, and what God wants is for you at odds. But what we've already discovered, and that most of the time, what you want naturally Is it odds with what you want? Ultimately, the whole idea of surrendering to God scares us because we think somehow God's going to leave us unhappy or unfilled, fulfilled. And where in the world did that come from? How did God get to be such a bad person and a bad father? The answer to that question is church, and people who do what I do, unfortunately. But when you read the New Testament, and when you listen to Jesus talk about His Heavenly Father, and your Heavenly Father, everything changes. And here's what you're going to discover, if you go through that eulogy exercise, the funeral exercise, here's what you'll discover, that you are closer you are closer to wanting what God wants for you than you have ever imagined before. That the eulogy exercise not only draws us closer to what we really want, it actually hints at what you're created for. We're not as far apart as we might imagine. Here's a question. What does God want for you? What does God want for you? The Apostle Paul, who we looked at the passages last week, and when we talked about how we just lean forward to what's natural, every time we lean forward to what's natural, unhealthy things often happen. In that same passage, Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into what God wants for us. Here's how he writes in the book. In the book of Galatians, he says this, Galatians chapter 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is... Now, fruit of the Spirit basically means if God had his way, if God would override your free will, if God this afternoon took control of your life, and by control suddenly you have to do, you have to think, you have to react the way God wants you to, if God were to take over the fruit of the Spirit, our outcome is this. For the fruit of the Spirit is hate, sorrow, as fear, frustration, meanness, badness, faithfulness, unkindness, and slavery to all known appetites. See, that's exactly what you don't want. That's exactly what I don't want. And that's exactly what God don't want for you. Right? hear what the apostle says and this is so powerful he says if God were to have his way in your life if somehow God would override your free will but he's not going to do that because he loves you too much but if if God were to have his way if he were to get into as we're going to see in a minute lockstep with your heavenly father here's what it looks like for the fruit of the spirit and you know this Is joy, love, joy, peace. And it's like, I can't have any of that, okay? No way. I I, I want an F-150. I want a Raptor. I want a garage. I I, I don't know. I I don't love joy and peace. I don't want her. I, I, I don't want love, joy, and peace. I want him. I don't want love, joy, and peace. These three things will definitely solve most of your relationship problems. Love, the ability to love someone who's unlovable and forgive them even though they don't deserve it. Joy, to be able to step into difficult situations and still have joy. I, of them in a difficult situation, but I love God to death. you've met people with joy and so have I and you thought they were on something it's like okay or that they were in denial it's like are you kidding me Life, your life's falling apart your job's falling apart your wife might have cancer your kids are in trouble and you've just had this sense of content and joy in the midst of all of this what's wrong with you you know many christians in third world in third world countries have more joy than you've ever had and that's about all they have and why is that that's the product of someone who surrendered their heart and their life to their heavenly father love joy and my goodness peace. Let's just be honest, we're friends here, I hope. Some of you need a prescription for this. And some of you, all will have some already have some prescriptions for this. Because it's not natural. You can't work it out, you can't find it. Now think about this, you Your Heavenly Father wants you to have something that you know you want. Peace, contentment, and internal internal sense of satisfaction that is somehow disconnected. But doesn't put you in denial of what's happening around you. This is why, why I say when you discover what you really want, when you discover what you really value, you're not that far from your heavenly Father as you may have imagined. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you get behind this stuff and you get behind the person, and, and and once you get behind, if 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 she if she would only, if he would only, you find yourself in this world and from this guy and. And, and okay for all the type A's that are worried about, okay, if I do that, I'll never get anything done. Just listen. This is a guy from who's done more, got, who's got more done than you'll ever get done without electricity. And probably never taken a shower. So if, you, if you're worried about, oh my gosh, if I, if I kind of lean into this, there's not getting to any progress. That's not the case at all. He goes on and on and he says this. He says, so now he talks about this lockstep idea. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now this is so powerful because he harkens back to something that Jesus said. Because when Jesus showed up and started, started putting together his band of merry men... His original invitation, his original invitation to them was not obey, and it wasn't submit. His original invitation was follow. I want you to follow me. Where are we going? Follow me. Well, I don't have all the answers. Just just follow me. And if you were to say to your Heavenly Father, okay, if I follow you, where are we going? He would say, let me tell you where we're going. We're going to love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's where we're going. Will I get anything accomplished? Of course you will. You get more accomplished, not less. Come on. Kindness does not impede progress, does it? I mean, self-control doesn't undermine accomplishment. You get more done. What if all that energy put, you put into worrying, you could put into something productive? What if all the energy you put into covering up, that you don't want anybody to know was replaced by self-control and you were able to, to put all that into something productive? What if all the money you spent on things trying to feel better, trying to get your act together? What if, what if, what if, what if my uh, uh, agent, real estate agent, she, she's told Janice and she's told me, she goes, I'm not going to play those what if games. Now I understand what she mean, you know, well, well, what if he doesn't do this? What if the sales or what if the, the buyer or the seller doesn't do this? We're not going to play that what if game because we don't need to until we get to that. What if it's not the point of the whole thing? Because it's a fear. Because oftentimes people feel like Christianity is some, some kind of passive ooey-gooey thing. Nothing, I think, listen, we would not be here 2,000 years later if that's all there was to you. Then he says this, this is, imagine if just the folks in your office got a hold of this. Okay, you may not even want them to know about this because so, it'll change everything. But look what he says. Let us talking about the people in the church, but hey, you can try this at home. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What if everybody in your company, what if everybody in your industry got hold of this? Huh? Gosh, think of the collaboration. Think of the progress. Think of the efficiency. If there was no more ego, well, I don't care who gets credit, just got to get it done. If there was no more provoking and provoking, trying to take sides, I'm going to play good cop, bad cop. Imagine if there was no more jealousy and envying each other. Don't you want to know where your Heavenly Father wants to lead you? And here's what I want uh, what I know about you and, and, and that's where you want to go and that's where you want to go and here's what I what I, I how I know that because you may not latch on to all this personally even though there may be something in you that's like I don't know love joy and peace it's, it sounds like that sounds like it's just awful but here's what I know, you value those things. Here's how I know, because you want the people around you to be characterized by those things. You want your son's future wife or daughter to be characterized by those things. You want your daughter's future husband to be characterized by those things. You hope to meet somebody someday who's characterized by gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because these are the things you value. And because you value them, you need to pay attention to them because they're lurking in the shadows of what you say you want. So, back to, to our question what do you want? What do you really want? And what God really wants for you are closer than you ever imagined. And if you keep digging into this question, you get behind this. Behind this stuff, and you get behind the the experience. You get behind the money, and you dig and you dig and you dig. You keep digging, and eventually, you get to things like like meaning and significance and legacy. And eventually, you may find yourself face to face with the will of your heavenly Father in your life. But I'm jumping ahead a bit, because first you've got to find what's the most important to you. This week, I want you to think about it. I want you to, to make some notes. and You may even want to do the eulogy exercise. Uh, you need to buy the book, or I can loan it to you. I don't care. Anyway, I want you to take some time. I want you to write some things down. And get yourself some words, because when you, when you discover... I mean, you know this. When you discover what you really value you'd be less prone to settle for what you merely want. And here's the thing, as your pastor, I don't want you to settle. I don't want you to settle for what you merely want. I want you to discover what you really, actually value. Because what's important, actually important, because most, it becomes most important. You're on your way to getting what you really want. Don't be surprised if along the way you don't come face to face with the will of your Heavenly Father. Pick that up in a couple of weeks. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to call the creator of our universe, Father. Father, I prayed for many of us that would sink in and everything, change everything as it relates to how we view you, a perfectly trustworthy Heavenly Father. Give us the eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and I I, I pray, Father, that many of us would make discoveries this week that are literally life-changing. More than just changing a few habits, more than just changing how nice we are and how kind we are, I pray in that process, we will come face to face with you. That we would come face to face with what you called us to be. What you have created us to be. We pray these things in the matchless name of, of Jesus. Amen.